Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts to help you build your resilience for a better life, both at home and at work. In fact, we're going to help you get your bounce back. There are lots of different subjects, people and tools and techniques across this series, so please feel free to subscribe. Information can be found at personalresilience.com and you can access other goodies and online courses and coaching as well as today's show notes. In the meantime, please enjoy today's podcast. So today, today we've got a fascinating podcast for you all about animals, life skills, resilience. We're going to talk to uh, Catherine Birmingham, who is a real, has a really interesting story to tell. So first of all, hi Catherine. Hi Russell. Now, I believe you're in one of my fav- favourite countries today. Yes, I am. I'm in Italy at the moment. Ah, and it's a beautiful weather. Is it gorgeous out there? It is. It is beautiful. And the spring is here, so there's all the blossoms. It's lovely. Wow, I am so envious. I'm sitting uh, in, the, in the south of the UK looking out over <laughs> fog and mist. and Oh, no. <laughs> no normal, normal spring British weather. So there you go. Okay. So it's, it's nice to reflect in the sunshine from your um, from the through the podcasts. I'm sending you rays of sunlight. Perfect. So, Catherine, how would you describe yourself? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay. Basically, what I do is I mainly was a horse coach. I work with people, work with riding, work with dressage horses, equestrianism, professional horses. But over the years, I've developed more of an understanding through my own troubles that I've gone through that horses were a parallel understanding of how to live my life. So everything I had learned from how to ride correctly, I was understanding they were principles relating to how I needed to deal with difficult situations I was going through in my life. So now what I tend to do is I tend to help people with their riding, but their life concerns and problems and issues do come up, whether it's emotional, whether it's material situations, whatever it is, they will surface as I'm coaching and we will work on those. Um, I do write a lot now, so there's a lot of free articles that I put up on my website all the time. Um, I've written a few books, but it's mainly the writing and the coaching, they're connecting me to people to help them through their own life situations with an understanding of it from a writing perspective, from how we work with the horses. Now that's really interesting because you're not the first person I've um, heard talk about this connection between humans and horses. That's um, wonderful. How, how would you, how would you, how can you describe this sort of strange link that exists between human and horse? My true belief is that horses are here on a spiritual level helping us evolve consciously. So they are more connected to us human beings. I mean, they've been with us from the very beginning with us um, working land and everything, but they're so close to us as as a working animal as well as a, a spiritual a spiritual animal that I truly believe they're here to help us consciously evolve. So yes, it's making so much sense that now there's all these equine assisted therapies out there, um, that some of the most beautiful spiritual cultures, uh, um, the Native Americans, Mongolians, so forth, they're so close to horses. They so work so much with horses. It's because horses are a large animal. And they're quite intimidating. And the only way that we can actually get them to work, to cooperatively work with us, is we have to work from all levels of our being. Um, so I, I feel that they push us to become better human beings. So you say 
So you say they help work from all levels of the being. And I understand that a horse can absolutely pick up what a human being is feeling. So when you ride a horse, it knows exactly what mood you have. Is, is that right? Exactly, Russell. This is what I was learning and developing as well. I mean, when you're young, you have that connection with horses anyway. But as you get older and you're working with them, you, 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 you tend to shut off your emotions. Everything becomes business. You've got to get through all the horses. It was my horse that I ended up getting when I returned back to Australia that he reminded me and opened me up to the fact that what I understood about horse psychology, because I had worked with a horse psychologist, what I understood about um, uh, horse training after training all the years in Germany was not working with him. He was basically telling me the days I walked out into that stable and I was having stresses about the business, stresses about money, stresses about my back going, things that, that uh, I thought I was hiding very well, he was picking up on. And he was teaching me and reminding me and opening me up to that the horse is sensing what our soul state is going through. So in other words, even emotions that we have that we are not aware of, they, they, they are picking up on them. Fears that we may have that are uh, developed from other areas of our life have nothing to do with horses, nothing to do with riding. If they're sensing fear in us, they will be picking up on that and they will help us, they will bring it forth, they will let us know, okay, you are vibrating at this energy at this moment of time, so I'm responding this way. It's about understanding it, that's the difficulty of it. But they are really, really very in tune with all of our energy that we, most of the time, are not tuned to. Right. Now, you've given me at least 70,000 questions to ask you. But first, <laughs> first we'll, we'll unpack all of that. There's so much to talk about there. But first, just, just give me a potted history of your, um, your, your life today, just so I understand right. the context. I, and as, as a human psychologist, it's going to be fascinating to talk about your horse <laughs> psychologist when we get there. <laughs> No, Russell, I'm going to try and really abbreviate all this because this is what I mean by there's a lot for me to say. Sure. Um, I, I grew up in a large family. My parents couldn't afford horses and I was passionately in love with horses. So my mother was a volunteer at Urala Special School, a disabled school. She started also volunteering with the riding for the disabled and she said to me, Catherine, if you come and help them on the weekends or days off after school, they will let you ride the, one of their ponies you know, when you, whenever you want. Yeah. So from nine years old, I started, uh, that was my only, I was a very sensitive child and I lived in a big family and I always wanted to be on my own. So it was going and being with these disabled kids and the horses that were giving me my freedom. They were giving me my expression. So I learned how to ride by myself, no saddle, no bridle. I used to just go there after school, after my paper round and just jump on the horses. As I got older with my, um, depression developed and I became suicidal and so forth it was the horses that basically kept me going and um, I had to work very very hard to keep horses because as I said my family didn't was not a horse family right. and uh, I then moved to Germany um, after I after I left left school and started working with them in Australia I got an opportunity to go to Germany so I sold my car, had a total of $3,000 and went to Germany and started to work my butt off. Um, every stage that I've gone through work, working with horses, I've carried with me a lifelong anxiety, depression, panic attacks. I don't like being in, didn't like being in crowds and so forth. I was very sensitive, an extremely sensitive person. Yeah. So it was the... The horse journey was going alongside my emotional journey, my spiritual journey. I then um, 
was working in Japan. I was sent there as a coach later after, after working in Germany for years. I then returned back to Australia because my father was sick with cancer. Uh, he's since passed away, but it's, it's, it's fine. Um, and I, I started my own training stables there. And it was there that, oh, I've, I've missed a major thing. In Germany, I ruptured three discs in my back, my oh, lower back. Blimey. And surgeons told me I would never ride again. And, of course, I was a very determined, stubborn person. And I kept riding. Um, but I had to look for alternative healing. Because I didn't want to get operated on, and I certainly didn't want to give up my career of writing. It was my life. Yeah. So it, that was the beginning of the journey of searching for, okay, why am I with a broken back and everybody else that I work with, they're doing the same amount of work as me and they're not. So I started to have to search that avenue then. And that was when I wrote the first book, Ride for Life. Um, so, but so, it's, so let me, yes, let, let me look yes. in then. So in Germany, you were training horses and you... Absolutely, it was. Right. I was. I was a worker, so I started from the bottom. So right. even though I came out of Australia knowing how to ride, I'd been riding since I was nine, and I'd been eventing and doing small scale scale dressage. You go there, and you have to be very humble because uh, compared to those riders over there, I was nothing. Right. So you know, bucking out boxes, breaking in all the young stallions. I mean, I fell off every day. <laughs> I was being thrown off every day. Wow. I mean, you know, you have you, you go from Australia where you have four or five horses to ride, and in Germany you've got 15 horses on your list that you have to get through. Yeah. So I worked very, very hard physically and mentally and emotionally to get through those those years there. So yes, I was working. And so you talked about anxiety and depression and such like, well, depression, suicidal thoughts and such like. Um, was this at the time you were in Germany? Is this linked back to your sensitivity or was um, something else going it, on? It had already eased by the time I had gotten to, as soon as I left Australia with all the connections of everything of, of childhood, it, it had eased by the time I'd gotten to Germany. But once I had the, the, the ruptured discs in my back, the, the depression surfaced again because that was the fear of never being able to ride again. So in, in, so in a funny sort of way, you were depressed, but you also very determined at the same time. That's, that's, very, that's very encouraging, isn't it, for people who are depressed? Do you think I was fortunate? Yes, I would. I was. I was fortunate enough to have a passion in life, right. and that passion was the thing that kept me going, that kept pushing me. The only time I was suicidal was when I was. It was seventeen, and I had lost my my horse. It was the period of time in my life. There was about six months period of time in my life until I got a job and got my license, and left home. That I didn't have a horse in my life. And that was the time when I actually tried to commit suicide, and, and it was it was when I didn't have a horse. Right. So yes, I was fortunate to have a passion that got me through that. Yeah, and that's that's very encouraging for people that are depressed or have real depression, because actually having a focus really does help, doesn't it? It helps you yes, see yourself in, yes. in context in a way, doesn't it? Oh, def definitely. And I've, since then, I've helped a lot of people through depression, and it is... It's knowing that you're loved. And for me, the horses, being around the horses, I felt loved. I felt wanted. I felt needed by the world. And when I didn't have that, I, didn't, I lost that connection to, to, to life because I didn't feel as though I was needed or wanted here. So the people that I help nowadays, it's more whether they have a passion or not. It's about helping them see and understand that they have a purpose in life. And that's my second book. Sorry. Right. That's, uh, the second book I've written is on that. Is, uh, yeah. Okay. So you 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 mentioned something which is a particular area of interest of mine, which is you mentioned that you were a sensitive child, 
And yes. There, and there may be other people listening to this who have sensitive children. And we've actually discovered from um, one of the other podcast guests, a guy called Dr. Michael Pluse, that a condition exists called high sensitivity. And um, there's some work being done in the States by Elaine Ahrens, who's actually defined what high sensitivity means. And um, it is a thing. And because a lot of people think that children, adults, aren't sensitive. They're just sort of messing around. But it is a, a genetic thing. And um, and it's not learning to minimise. It's learning to deal with it. And it's, exactly. And, exactly. And it's I had that same discussion with my mother. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Because it's, it's one of the challenges for very sensitive people. that they, They're told mm. to sort of toughen up rather than told to, to learn how to deal with it. And it's interesting that you found horses as your outlet to be able to really trust and to... Um, to have as part of your life. And for other people, it's a, it's a human being or it's whatever, yes. you know, dogs or something. But yes. sensitive people do need something, don't they? In a, more than a, a non-sensitive person would probably understand. I would definitely say is exactly as you've just described. There is a reason for our sensitivity, and I understand that now. But it's, it's about, instead of trying to silence it, it's about understanding it and learning how to to work around it, learning how to honour yourself, respect yourself enough that you you respect that sensitivity in yourself and don't put yourself in situations where you are going to to, to be drained or 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 so forth. It's it's definitely about respecting that sensitivity and using it as your <laughs> let's say superpower. Whatever it is, yeah. is is embrace it, yeah. And what whatever you use you're using to to go through with it. And it's and it's interesting because um it's actually, I was talking to someone who's a, a life partner of someone who is highly sensitive and, and we were discussing how difficult it is actually for another person to have a highly sensitive person as a partner or a child. It's very challenging for them to know where the boundaries lie yes. and the ground rules because it's, it's very different from, a, from someone that doesn't have that sort of genetic makeup. It it's, can be a challenge, can't it? Russell, may I go into another a line here because you've, you've opened up something that I think for me it was the, this, the next stage of my life. This was the biggest thing that helped me with my sensitivity. And that was the spiritual stage after I closed my business in Australia. I ended up having to bankrupt this, this business. This was this my love of my life, my stables. Everything I'd worked my whole life for, I had put into this business I was creating in Australia. And I lost it all. I lost my farm, I lost my car, I lost my everything, I lost my business, every, everything I'd worked and, and not just money-wise but my passion. It was then that I went into a year and a half of deep meditation. Right. Now this experience was what taught me, it taught me how to transcend my ego self. And now the ego self is, takes things very personally, it's very, it's your real uh, mental sensitive side. Yeah. So it it was that process. I ended up then moving to Malaysia for a time after that and just meditating in temples. I was giving the local riding school um, voluntary lessons over there in the mornings and then meditating in temples in the afternoon. It was definitely this transcendental kind of experience where I, I had learned to go beyond my mental, emotional self. Yeah. And that helped me deal with the sensitivities to still be sensitive, but not have the mental and emotional challenges that come with really when we take life so judgmentally and so personally. Yes. So that that is 
that's probably for me the main thing that helped me with the sensitivity and is given me the most resilience in life. It is fascinating how much research now points to meditation, mindfulness practice, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mm-hmm. early word about the early work around you know being in the now, it's so um, it seems to be so powerful in helping people to really manage their own thoughts and their sense of themselves. Exactly, exactly. I mean that is taught with writing, and that's such a huge part. I mean, you know, uh, the the focus that is required in writing the the don't take the horse what the horse is doing personally you can't you the silence that is required it's like ancient martial arts well this is how i was taught in germany the riding over there at the time not so much anymore but it's it's really about learning to focus the mind learning to get in in tune with the intuitive feeling side of yourself that really helps you so it was a form of meditation already all those years through riding wow so you so you left Australia and then you spent some time meditating. Well, and let's not over let's not pass that by without giving a due due, <laughs> due okay. a whip past that as if it was meaningless. But obviously, as you just said, it's so important to you. And what happened? What happened after that? Um, it, my my world opened up again to to horses. I was then asked to go as a coach to Singapore, so I moved to Singapore and was coaching again, riding and teaching there, and writing more. I, that whole that year and a half that I was meditating, I wrote another book in that time, but it, that's not published anyway. So, but um, that uh, it was the writing that started to come out. It really started to. I was channeling just so much during this time. It just put me back into writing, and it put me back into the horse world, but from a very different perspective. I then went on to Jakarta, Indonesia, where I was a big stables there, and I was head coach there for a while. And um, I then left there and stayed for a year in Bali, and that's where I met my current partner. <laughs> and uh, we're now together here in Italy. And um, yeah, I'm pursuing the writing and the the more coaching side of, of seminars and working with people, so that I'm not having to be restricted only with horse people. I'm I'm the the, the information that I've got with the horses is is for anybody. Wow. Okay, so um, so you certainly had a nomadic nomadic existence. It sounds very glamorous oh, when you say it. Yeah. Like it is, but it's I'm hard. So, it's, it's, yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, I love traveling, but I think I've lived in 11 different countries and 22 different towns. I mean, some of those countries were the same country. I moved out and moved back, but I've moved that many times. And I'm looking for a little bit of a home now. <laughs> now, one of the things you've said a couple of times is used the phrase coaching a horse. And um, in Britain, we use the word training a horse. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, coaching the rider, ah, training the horse, but coaching right. the rider. Okay, that makes sense. So when you're training the um, the horse, so when you're coaching the rider, what is what's involved in that? There's two phases of things that you're working with a person with a person when you are coaching them. Is you're getting them mentally prepared because coaching is not about what they're just learning today. You're setting them up and you're preparing for their goal, their end goal, which is always, there's going to be many, many goals, but it's setting up a foundation within them. So there's the technical side of riding. They have to first understand the balance and the focus, the mental focus to get things flowing with the horse. But coaching is about teaching them the skills and the levels that they can train their horses themselves and be independent enough themselves to deal with the situations that are coming up with the horse. Because training horses is challenging. They, the horses don't have a manual that tells them what to do. Yeah. 
process. So when you're when you're working with them, they can do things that seem very scary, and if you're not experienced, you'll you'll label it as something bad. And here we come back to the judgmental again. But whereas when you're coached and trained correctly by very good trainers in Germany, you're taught not to be affected by anything the horse does. Everything the horse is doing is 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 always a stepping stone to what you want them to do next. Nothing they ever do is bad. It's that whole thing about there's no such thing as failure. It's all stepping stones to success. Yes. And so and so you talk that so you're there. You're talking very clearly about um, coaching the mindset of the rider. So. How how might you how might you get a rider to sort of deal with fear or anxiousness or or worry about riding? What might you okay. do? Okay, the first step if they do have any fears or anxieties about the riding is bringing it to the surface. Is not trying to pretend that you don't because the horse knows that you do. But once you actually take ownership of that, so it's it's first about acknowledging, accepting how you currently truly feel. Right. Don't try and resist it. Don't try and push it away. It's about bring it to the surface, own it. And then the horse will start to respect you because he feels you're in control. Right. Then it's about learning how to focus the mind. That means don't talk. You've, you've, you've already brought it up. You're already aware of it. Don't feed it anymore. So you'll, you'll focus on one small, one particular exercise that you know how to do very well. And as you're doing this, you're learning how to focus the mind and get in touch with the intuitive side of the body so you can feel and be more in tune with the horse. Right. So so just I'm just unpacking that a little, if I may. I, I love your expression, you need to own the emotion. Um, do you find yes. there are people who aren't self-aware enough, who, who the horse can pick up the emotion, but the person isn't aware of it, for example? Oh, absolutely, all the time. But that's the whole point of riding, because it brings it up. The horse is aware of it, and then the, the, the rider, through the process of riding, they start to ask and question, why is he not responding? Why is he not doing what I'm asking him to do? If, you know, if say, for example, everything they're doing as such in, in their aids is correct, but the horse is not giving it to them, even if the horse is trained and it knows how to do it, then it's about digging deeper, and the frustration starts to arise. And as the frustration and the emotion starts to arise, then it comes to the surface of what they're really frustrated about. It's amazing how the horse brings it to the surface. So in, a, so in a sense, you can use learning to ride as almost a form of therapy. Oh, oh, it is. It is a therapy. It is a therapy. And it's also a fantastic training ground for life skills and of, of integrity and values for children because they learn respect, they learn honor, they learn focus, they learn so many skills for life. Right, interesting. Hmm, fascinating. And so then you said, um, once you own your emotion, um, you, you have to stop feeding it. And I thought that was an interesting phrase. So tell me more about that. Um, the thing with the fears are, is that it can once once the ego takes hold of a fear, it can start playing with the mind to tell you, well, this is why you shouldn't be doing it. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going going to you're going to fall off here, you're going to see that cat and the horse is going to shine. So, And that's where if you start talking about that, you're feeding that ego's connection to the mind. Right. So the meditation side of it is about focus, about not responding to the mind, but becoming in tune with the essence of yourself. The, so that's why you then start learning how to don't speak when you're riding and don't respond to those mental things that are coming up in your mind that are telling you why you shouldn't be doing it. Right. And, and I'm guessing that 
we're talking about all emotions here as if they're negative, but there must be excitement, no. anticipation, um, and an energy that comes from the desire to get on and face those challenges and, and to and, and to find the cat to shy away from, to, to deal with it. Okay, now that's a very interesting question because um, what I have learned over the years is that even the positive emotions, right. if you let them get out of control, you lose your focus, and the horse loses his focus on you as well. Ah. So even with his, even when you're riding, either the positive nor the negative emotions, you don't feed either of them. Yes. You stay focused. Yes. So you have, to this, be, you have to be aware of yourself to stay emotionally clean so you can, exactly. you can allow your mind to manage the situation you find yourself. Yes, and this is not about blocking emotions. This is not about suppressing emotions. This is about, yes, bring them to the surface, be aware of them. So before you get on, yes, I know I'm excited about this, but I'm going to take my deep breaths. I'm going to calm myself. I'm going to focus myself, and I'm going to get on with 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 a clear mind of what my actual um, project is to do today with the horse. And, and, it's, fasc and it's, fascinating, it's fascinating the way you describe that, Catherine, because it applies to anything, isn't it? It does. Oh, it does. Yes, that's what I love about it. Yeah. If you're doing a presentation, or you're going to a job interview, or you're you know you're, you're going to have a you're going to meet someone you don't really like. <laughs> for example, all those things are the same, aren't they? Because it is exactly the same process of you know owning the emotion, not feeling yes. it, focusing on it. And I like the way you talk about this focus because a lot of times um, this idea of building concentration is really important in our mental toughness, isn't it? And focus and, and concentration go together, don't they? Well, it's, it's something I've taught for years is there's three most important things in riding. And number one is focus. Number two is focus, and number three is focus. Right, very good. And number four? <laughs> there, oh, <laughs> there isn't a four at the moment. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Ever the comedian. Um, okay, yeah. so um, so that's really fascinating. So you talked to me about, um, you, you mentioned a couple of times that you started to write. So, so tell me about that and um, the process of writing. How do you find that? Um, it's something I've always been able to do, even as a child. I never actually thought it would be something that I would ever do in my life because I was, I've always been so passionate about horses. The, the love and the passion of horses is beyond before I can remember. But ever since a young child, I could write stories. I could write poems easily. Uh, I mean, the, I didn't like school. I always knew what I wanted to do so I, I picked easy subjects and for me they were literature English anything to do with writing and, and reading and, and that for me I found so easy right. um, yeah it's just the writing the writing first started when I wrote the first book after my back injuries and then it just flowed from there so tell, that so, it, so, so tell me so tell me some of the so the first book you said was called the first book is called Ride for Life, and it's the three golden principles for riders. But those three principles are life principles. Right. So it's connected to, to riding and life. So every time I speak about a horse in there, it's, all you have to do is just change it around to a person, situation, or thing in your life, and it's the same meaning. So it's, so it's, a, it's a practical guide, but it's also a metaphor to be used in the wider world. Absolutely, yes, definitely. So, was, so, as yes. Someone, so as someone who finds writing difficult, um, oh, I'm, very, okay. I'm very impressed that you've got, you've got more than one out there. So tell me, tell me which of the books you've got going on. Well, I, the, the second book that I wrote after I went through that very big life change and that very big spiritual awakening after I closed, closed my business is called um, Just Be You, Transformation and the Gift of Fear. 
So it's about acknowledging and understanding your fears and getting really in touch with who you really are, what you, you're really here to be. So it's the, it's the main question that we ask in life that is, you know, who am I? It's, it's addressing that question. And it's about helping people get in alignment with their, their life purpose. As we were talking about before, about with the depression, it's about not having a sense of fulfillment in life. It's not having a connection to life. So it's this book is helping with that, and um, and for those who are interested in doing something about this immediately, you can go straight to our um, shopping area, and um, click on the Amazon link and download those books immediately. So just to know that they're there, Catherine. Um, oh no, you can't. Sorry. Oh right. Right okay. for Life is only um, is only hard copy. It's a hard cover. It's a, it can be bought off my w website. Oh right. Um, just, just no, I'm sorry. Just be you is no longer available on, on as an ebook because uh, I'm currently trying to find a publisher for this book. Ah, okay. um, I believe it deserves the right outlets. So this this book, I'm 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 pursuing a publishing with that one, and I've got two more that I'm writing at the moment. So tell, so, me, tell me about those. <laughs> the wisdom of writing, and that's all of the. All of the, this is more for writers, this one. It's, it's all of the writing uh, principles uh, associated with the principles of our spiritual growth in life. So this one is, is, a very, is much, much deeper than the first one. And the other one I'm writing is empowerment and changing your life, changing this world. I really, truly believe that we're in a time where the world is changing, consciousness is lifting, and it's, it's people need guidance and advice on how to work with that, what to do with this. Now, you've used the term spiritual many times across the course mm -hmm. of our conversation today. <laughs> so just to be clear for people, what do you really mean by that? Okay, spirituality for me is, is not religious. It is about a connection and an understanding of, of what we cannot see within this world. It was when I had my, my bad back problem and when I lost everything, I had to look for answers that were beyond what this world was doing. And so the spirituality was like ancient Eastern wisdom. And it is also about quantum physics nowadays is showing the science side of what 5,000 years of, of Eastern spiritualism have always said. And quantum physics now is proving this. And a lot of science is proving what a lot of um, they've been saying. But for me, it's about spirituality is about connecting and understanding with yourself from the part of you that you cannot, that is not from your five senses. I see. And that's what the horse is always connecting to. Right. I understand. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's a really interesting way you describe spirituality then. It's very, it's very um, uh, normal. Okay. Well, if we are all normal, it's just that we've made ourselves abnormal because we've cut off so much of our wonderful abilities. Yes. Yes. No, that's really brilliant. So, um, Catherine, if people would like to get hold of you or talk to you or ask you questions or find your books yes. on your website, how would they get in touch with you? They can basically go straight to my website. There's a contact form on there. Um, there's an email address on there. There's, there's plenty of ways. There's a, a lot of free information that's on my website as well with articles. There's writing-related articles and there's spiritual health, um, life skills-related articles. There's a lot of reading that they can just go through on there, but they can contact me very easily from my website, which is www.catherinelouisebirmingham.com. Okay. But if you Google it, it, it comes up straight away. Sure. And we'll link, and we'll, <laughs> I, I will supply that link in the show notes as well. Oh, so that's wonderful. No problem. Catherine, that's been absolutely fascinating. I haven't really ever considered um, 
um, the sort of link between horses and humans quite as um, in-depth as you've described it today. It's been really, really interesting finding out more. Oh, that's wonderful, Russell. I'm really, really happy that uh, you've enjoyed that. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. And um, for those of you who want to get in touch with Catherine, as I said, show notes and we'll have uh, contact information. And um, hopefully the next time a book launch appears, you'll have a, um, a, a load of followers from the resilience world as well who'd like to oh, find out more. That's lovely, Russell. Thank you so much. A lot of love and gratitude to QED as well. Thank you so much. You look after yourselves and uh, take care. We'll hopefully speak to you very soon. Will do. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found some value. Um, there are lots of other podcasts in this series, lots of different speakers, tools and techniques and subjects. So please subscribe and see what else might be helpful for you. Um, it would be smashing if you could pop across to iTunes and drop us a review. As I said earlier, we've got tons of information on our sites, lots of free goodies, ebooks, webinars and such like. Uh, as well as some uh, online courses and specific coaching, sometimes from some of the speakers you've heard on these podcasts. So hope to uh, have your company again on the next edition of Resilience Unraveled. Bye now.